Tonight's message is about the 144,000. Friday night's message is going to be uh, about spiritualism. In fact, the title is Spiritualism Invades the Churches. And so please uh, mark that. We are going to be dealing with that Friday night. It's going to be a very eye-opening, very eye-opening message, as I hope tonight's message will be. But tonight, 144,000 Star Warriors. How many of you have heard about the 144,000? Okay. Uh, there's a lot of confusion going around or, you know, when it comes to this particular subject. And I think it's one of the simplest subjects uh, in the Bible to understand and one of the most misunderstood. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and we will get right into the message. Heavenly Father, Lord, we need your spirit to guide us. We need your spirit to convict us. Father, please speak to our hearts as we open your word. Lord, may we receive understanding from the Holy Spirit. And Father, we ask all this in the precious and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to begin by reading about the 144,000. This is found in the book of Revelation chapter 7. And the Bible says there, And after these things I saw four angels stand on the four corners of the earth. I'm going to just tell you something here real quick that I wasn't planning to tell you. There are, in the Bible, there are a lot of numbers that have symbolic meaning. The number four is symbolic of world wideness. So you think about... Uh, you think about uh, the four directions, north, south, east, west. When the Bible says here the angel is standing on the four corners of the earth, what the Bible is telling us is that this is a worldwide event that's going to happen, or that takes place here in Revelation chapter 7. So he says, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, until we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and they were sealed a hundred and how many? Forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel, according to Revelation 7, verses 1 through 4. So here we have uh, one of the verses that is probably the most prominent in dealing with the 144,000. And we're told that they are sealed from the tribes of Israel. Now we're going to shift gears a little bit and we're going to go back to the rebellion in heaven because as we have seen every night that in order to understand our subject, we've got to understand it in light of the big picture. So we're going to look at something tonight. We're going to look at the rebellion and we're going to see how does this tie in with the 144,000. We saw yesterday... Last night, the Bible says, Whosoever committeth sin, transgress also the what? Law for sin is the transgression of the law. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the what? Beginning. So we realize that in the beginning, when Satan or Lucifer was in heaven, that he what? He sinned. 
which means that Lucifer broke a law in heaven. Alright, so Lucifer sinned in the beginning. He broke this law. Whatever that law was, we understand it to be the law of self-sacrificing what? Love. That was the law of heaven, summed up in one word. Satan encouraged rebellion against the sanctuary. And we'll remember that in Ezekiel 28 it says, Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries, speaking of Lucifer, Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy what? Traffic, Ezekiel 28, verse 18. So the Bible tells us that Lucifer in heaven defiled something called the what? The sanctuary. And all through this series, we've been looking at the sanctuary that God told Moses to build. That that sanctuary was a replica or a miniature model of the true sanctuary found where? Found in heaven. And inside that sanctuary, we saw there were two compartments called the holy and the most holy. And inside the most holy place is where God sat on his throne. And underneath that throne was a law that we now know as the what? Ten commandments. And that this is the, the law that Satan so hated because it was the foundation of God's throne. Even though in heaven it was summed up in one word. Now, let's go ahead and see what else the Bible says about Lucifer's fall. And this is where we're going to focus in on. The Bible says here, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And now notice this last part of the verse. I will sit also upon the mount of the what? Come man, I don't hear you guys tonight. On the mount of the congregation in the sides of the where? North. Now, we've read this text quite a few times over the past nine nights. How many of you have gotten to this part of, the, of that verse and wondered what that was talking about? Okay, some of you. If you were really paying attention, you would look at that and say, Mount of the Congregation, size of the North, what's that all about? Well, we're going to find out tonight because that is going to really help us out in figuring out this 144,000. In the sanctuary, the table of shewbread was placed on the north side. On the north side. Look at what the Bible says here. And thou shalt set the table without the veil... And the candlestick over against the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south. That means the candlestick was to be on the south side of the holy place inside the tabernacle. And thou shalt put the table on what side? On the north side, according to Exodus 26.35. Now the picture I've been showing you of the sanctuary is one where you kind of get this... this uh, a picture of, you can see the, the cross clearly. I'm going to show you how the sanctuary really should be uh, viewed. And you'll notice that it's just been flipped at a 90 degree uh, angle. Here is the door to the sanctuary. You went in and there was the, art, the altar of sacrifice and then the laver. And then you went into the holy place. And here you have the table of what? showbread on the side of the 
north, okay? And then you have the seven branch candlestick and then the most holy place. So a table of showbread is actually on the side of the north. Why is that so significant? First of all, let's figure out what the table of showbread represented. The table of showbread was also called the bread of the presence. It's literally called the bread of the presence. Why is it called the bread of the presence? Well, think about something Jesus said. Jesus said unto them, I am the what? Bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. John 6, 35. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. So the table of showbread, or the bread of the presence, symbolized who? Symbolized Jesus Christ. Excellent. But also, it symbolized the mount of the congregation. Let me show you what I mean. The 12 loaves there, by the way, there were 12 loaves upon this table of showbread. 12 loaves. These 12 loaves also represented the congregation of who? Of God. Why do I say that? That's right. You got it. How many tribes of Israel? 12 tribes. So the, the loaves of bread not only represented the bread of or the, the, the person of Jesus Christ, it also represented the congregation or the people. The table of showbread located in the where? Sides of the north represented both the presence of Jesus and the what? People of Jesus. Now, notice again. In heaven... When the Bible says that Lucifer wanted to, to sit on the mount of the congregation in the size of the north, we understand that in, that in that verse where it talks about sitting in the congregation or sitting above the congregation, we're talking about angels in heaven, not people. So when the Bible said that Satan wanted to sit above the congregation, it was talking about what everyone? Angels. And we know that the Bible says he wanted to exalt himself above the stars of God, which we have seen already represented the angels of God. Notice what the Bible says again concerning Lucifer. Thou art the anointed cherub, that means angel, that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou was upon the holy what? Mountain of God. Thou, thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire, according to Ezekiel 28, 14. Remember that. Lucifer was upon the holy what? Mountain of God, and he walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Now, look at this incredible text. The Bible tells us here, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the what? City of our God, in the mountain of his what? Holiness. Now notice what it goes on to say. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is what? Mount Zion on the sides of the what? North, the city of the great who? King. That's Psalms 48, 1 and 2. So beloved, what we're pulling together here so far is that the table of showbread, which was placed on the sides of the north, very good, that represented not only the presence of Jesus, but also the 
people of Jesus is actually a symbolic um, picture of Mount Zion, the city of the great king. Is that clear? Does that make sense? The table of showbread represented Jesus, his people, and in essence, the city or Mount Zion, which was located on the sides of the north in the kingdom of heaven. Psalms 48, 1 and 2. Zion, the word Zion, or the, 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 the title Zion was thought of as the citadel or the capital of Jerusalem. And so basically what we're seeing here is that in heaven, Satan wanted to take over the what? The city or the capital of heaven, which was Zion or Jerusalem. You say, but Jerusalem is an is a, is a earthly land. Hold your thought. And we're going to notice some things here. Jerusalem again is, what, is the, what does the name Jerusalem mean? It means city of peace. Now let me ask you, where is the ultimate city of peace? It is, it is in heaven. We can understand or we can assume, and we'll see that this is more than an assumption in a moment, that Jerusalem was simply a type, the earthly Jerusalem is simply a type of the heavenly city of Peace. This same heavenly city that Lucifer in the beginning said, I want to rule over this city. I want to be the God of this city. I want to be the one in control. He wanted to have the mount of the congregation or the congregation worship who? Him instead of Jesus. All right, notice again. The earthly sanctuary is a type of the heavenly sanctuary. We have talked about this over and over again over these past 10 nights that the earthly sanctuary was simply a symbol of the heavenly sanctuary. Likewise, earthly Jerusalem or Zion is simply or was simply a symbol or a type of what everyone? Heavenly Jerusalem or heavenly Zion. Notice what the Bible says here. But you are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the what? Heavenly what? Jerusalem and to an innumerable company of angels according to Hebrews 12.22. So then, is it fair, biblically speaking, is it fair to, uh, to come to the conclusion that there is a city in heaven named Jerusalem? Yes, that's what the Bible says. Heavenly Jerusalem. Notice again. And I, John, saw the holy city, knew what? Jerusalem coming where? Down from who? God out of where? Heaven. So, beloved, we understand from Revelation 21, verse 2, Hebrews 12, verse 22, that there was and is a city in heaven called Jerusalem. Zion. It, it is this city, this city of the great king that Lucifer said, I want to sit above this city. I want to be like the most high. I want to be worshipped in the congregation more than Jesus or above Jesus. Notice again, Abraham desired this heavenly city. The Bible says by faith he, Abraham, sojourned in, a land, in the land of promise as in a strange 
country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he looked for a what? City which has foundations, remember that word there, whose builder and maker is who? God, according to Hebrews 11, 9 and 10. Brothers and sisters, Abraham, according to this verse, was not looking so much for an earthly promised land as he was looking for a what? A heavenly promised land, the heavenly Jerusalem. But now they, they desire a better country that is a heavenly Whereof God is not, wherefore rather, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a what? A city. So all these verses show us that there was and is a place in heaven called the New Jerusalem. It is this city that Satan sought to take control of in heaven. Now, I'm going to show you, we're going to see rather a miniature picture of the rebellion in the last Supper. Now, why do you think I'm going to the Last Supper? What might the Last Supper have to do with what we're talking about so far? There you go. How many people? Twelve disciples. And what was before them? Bread and a? A table. Sound familiar? We've been talking about the table of showbread. And beloved, remember the war in heaven centered or focused not only around the, the Ark of the Covenant, but also over this table. Now, I want you to notice what happens. Jesus is about to die, and he sends his disciples forth to prepare the Passover meal. And then the Bible tells us, now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. It goes on to say, then entered who? Satan into who? Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve, according to Luke 22, verses 1 through, through 1 and 3. Lu, uh, Judas is a type of Lucifer. As Lucifer betrayed Jesus in heaven or turned against him in heaven, so Judas, one of his very own disciples, turns against him and turns him over to the Roman authorities or to the Jewish authorities. So the Bible says that Judas entered in, or Satan entered into Judas. It goes on to say in that same chapter, And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Notice that number twelve, we're talking about twelve loaves of bread on the table. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in where? The kingdom of God, according to Luke 22, 14 to 16. Jesus is telling his disciples here that I'm going to eat this again with you, but it will be where? It will be in heaven. Very good. Notice what it goes on to say. After he breaks bread and gives it to them, it says, Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is what? Shed for you. But behold, the hand of him that does what? Betrayeth me is where, everyone? With me on the what? On the table. 
Beloved, that verse is so incredible to me. Because it points out, it lets us know from what we have studied so far, that as it was at this last supper, so it was where? In heaven. One who was the friend of Jesus, one who who loved Jesus, or at least used to love him, turns on him and betrays him. One from the very mount of the congregation turns upon Jesus. And so we find Judas doing the same thing here because Satan has entered into him. It says, and they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. And now notice what the next sentence says. And there was also a strife among them which of them should be accounted what? Uh, How many of you are following me? How many of you see what's going on here? After Lucifer enters into Judas, then he starts working on the other disciples. And now the very same thing that he wanted to do in heaven to be accounted the what? Greatest. You now find the disciples at the table of shewbread, the sides of the north. Now two principles we're going to see being revealed that sum up the entire great controversy. Now they start to argue who's going to be the greatest. Who's going to have first place in heaven. Look how Jesus responds. He says, he that is greatest among you. As they're arguing, he interrupts. He says, he that is greatest among you. Let him be as the what? Younger. And he that is chief as he that doth what? Serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth. Is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that what? Serveth. Now watch this. What did Satan want to do in heaven? Exalt himself. What is Jesus doing as he's speaking here at the table? He's humbling himself. You're seeing there the two opposing principles right there at the table, beloved. The very same place where Lucifer said, I will be like the Most High. I'm going to exalt myself. He goes on to say, Jesus continues to say, okay, I think the verse ends right there. What we find here is two principles or two kingdoms at war at this very table. Number one, the principle of what? Self-sacrificing love. Jesus says serve. Serve. What's the other principle? The principle of what? Rebellion and self-centeredness. You serve me. I will be the greatest. Now, you know, I, I believe that in any home... You can either operate or you either operate on one of these two principles. Either the principle of what? Rebellion and self-sacrificing love or you operate on the... I'm sorry. (laughs) The principle of rebellion and self-centeredness or you operate on the principle of what? Self-sacrificing love which is manifested in service in service and so you've got this war of principles happening over the table that took place the very same war that took place in heaven is now being uh, shown to us in an up close view or a close up view at this last supper Jesus continues ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations 
And I appoint unto you a what? Kingdom as my father has appointed unto me that you may eat and drink at my where? Table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the who? Twelve tribes of Israel, according to Luke 22, 26 to 30. Jesus says, listen, I have a purpose. The reason why I came is I want to bring you back to where? The kingdom of heaven with me that you may eat and drink at my what? Table. Now question, who are the ones that are going to end up eating and drinking at Christ's table? The ones who exercise the principle of self what? sacrificing love. The ones who exercise the principle of rebellion, will they be able to eat at this table? No. Why? Because Lucifer himself was put out of heaven because of that very what? That very principle. Alright. Satan exalted his throne above humanity. You remember that when Satan came down to planet earth and he spoke to Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve listened to his lie Satan's goal was to exalt his throne above the stars of God. He's cast out into the, into the earth. He, Adam and Eve listened to him. And in so listening to him, he has exalted his throne over them. They are now under his dominion. Humanity is now under his leadership. In essence, Satan turned mankind against the holy city of who? God and its principles. In other words, mankind, in listening to Satan, they in essence turned and rebelled against that holy mountain in the sides of the north. They were now in rebellion to the principle of God, to the city of God, to the foundation and to the law of God. Christ came to do what, everyone? Redeem humanity. Now, let me see if you guys know... Can, can fill me in here. I know how I'm doing if you can tell me this. When, when the Bible says Christ came to redeem humanity, where is he redeeming them to? Where is he trying to bring them back to? He's trying to bring them back to heaven. But in particular, where are we talking about? The? Come on, you guys got to get it. The, okay, you, you know what, all your answers are right, but I, I, he's trying to bring us back, beloved, to the holy mountain of God. He's trying to bring us back to the sides of the north. You understand what I'm saying? Not, not that we were there before, we were in submission to that law before sin entered, but when, it's, when the Bible says Christ came to re- redeem humanity, he's coming to bring us back into harmony with the, with the city of God, with the kingdom of God, with, the, with that principle of self-sacrificing love. Notice what the Bible says. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to do what? redeem who? Them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. So the Bible tells us that Christ came to redeem who? To redeem who? Okay, now let me ask, do you think Christ has come to redeem just like one kind of people? What if I said to you today, you know, man, I'm so sorry for you guys because Christ has only come to redeem us us black people. 
What, what would you say to that? You say, man, that's kind of a, what kind of a statement? Yeah. That's a prejudice or racist statement. And we know that God is not what, everyone? He's not racist. He's not a respecter of persons. So it says that he has come to redeem who? Them that were under the law. That is everyone because we're all under the law of sin and death. So Christ came to redeem us all. Somebody should say amen. Amen. God is not a respecter of persons. Listen to what it says again. Who, speaking of Jesus, gave himself for us that he might redeem who? Us from from what? All iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works, according to Titus 2.14. So Christ came to redeem who, everyone? Us. And I, I love this verse. The Bible says, therefore the who? Redeemed of the Lord shall do what? Return and come with singing unto Zion and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. Isaiah 51 11. Now question, do you think this is talking about the Zion or Jerusalem that is over there in the Middle East right now? How many of you would go back? With, with, oh man. <laughs> How many of you in the state that Israel is right now think that this text is a possibility? That you would go back and say, oh, this is such joy. Oh, no more crying. I'm finally in Jerusalem. No, beloved, most of us would not want to go there because of all that's going on. But this is not talking about the earthly Jerusalem. What is it talking about? The heavenly Jerusalem. You and I know that because we've been studying our Bibles. Amen? So, the redeemed. Now, who is the redeemed of the Lord? That would be any particular people or would it just be those that believe in Jesus? Very good. Those that believe in Jesus, the goal of the gospel, the goal of Jesus Christ is to bring the redeemed back to where? Zion. And where is Zion? In heaven. Very good. Quiz. Are you ready? Who do the redeemed represent? All right. Brilliant. All who believe in who? Very good. Next question. What are they redeemed from? All right. Very good. Iniquity. That's the short answer. All right. Now we're going to read, according to Revelation chapter 14, a verse that's just going to sink right into you. The Bible says, speaking of the 144,000, and they sung as it were a new song before the where? Throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the where? Earth. Now, if we didn't do all the foundation, that we didn't just lay all the foundation that we laid before, you'd read this verse and you would think one thing, but you know better now. Who must this 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth that sing a new song before the throne, who must that represent? Who? 
Come on, guys. Don't, don't, don't get confused on the text now. We have laid a beautiful foundation. Just go ahead and say it. <laughs> Woo. There go foundations. No, I'm just playing. Beloved, those which are redeemed from the earth, this people, this group of people, this 144,000, must represent the redeemed of the, of the Lord. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with what? Singing unto where? Zion. And it says here that 144,000 which were redeemed from the where? From the earth. Where are they going to? Zion. So who must the 144,000 represent? God's people. Any special people? Blacks? Just Jews? Everybody, beloved. Now you say, I, I don't get that. Hold on, because we just read that these are from the, four, from the 12 tribes of Israel. Hold on. Look at what the next verse says. Revelation 14 and verse 4. It says, these were they, or these are they, which were not defiled with what? Women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb with the servant he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and unto the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the where? Throne of God. Some people have wondered and have thought and have taught that the 144,000 are 144,000 literal male Jews that are virgins. Now, we're going to just go through and, and look at this and see, is this what the Bible is saying? Are the 144,000, 144,000 literal male virgin Jews? All right, let's notice. The Bible says that these are they, these were not defiled with women for they are virgins. The only problem is the Bible says marriage is honorable in all and the bed what? Undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Hebrews 13.4. So beloved, being, uh, um, being virgins, or rather being married does not make a person defiled. And if this verse is literal, then it would mean that these 144,000 male Jews would have to refrain from being what? Married in order not to be defiled. The Bible tells us, no, 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 that's not so. Marriage is honorable. As long as you're married, there's no, as long as you're married, there's no defilement going on. So this verse cannot be talking about uh, 144,000 literal men who have not been with any, uh, who have not been married or not been with any woman before. What is it talking about? Notice Revelation chapter 17. Actually, I believe it's Revelation, yeah, Revelation 17. The Bible says here, And the woman, the what? The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Filthiness of her what? Fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of what? 
harlots and abominations of the earth. Revelation 17, 4 and 5. In other words, we discovered yesterday that in Bible prophecy, a woman represents a what? A church. So the 144,000 then would represent a group of people who are not defiled with false teachings. False doctrines. That, that's what it means. They are virgins. Notice what it says. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to who? Christ, speaking about the church. In other words, he says the church should be pure. And the 144,000 represent those who adhere to a pure faith and a pure doctrine. Thus they are virgins. Thus they are not defiled with women. Nor, not the mother, nor her harlot daughters. These were they that did what? Follow the lamb. Notice what Jesus said. He said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him do what? Deny himself and take up his cross daily and do what? Follow me. Now let me ask you something. Did Abraham follow Jesus? Did Isaac follow Jesus? Did David follow Jesus? Did Peter and Paul follow Jesus? Yes, beloved, these men may have fallen, they may have sinned, but they got up and kept walking. And so, if we were to consider who are they that follow the Lamb, the answer would have to be very simple, those who love the Lamb. Those who love the Lamb. So, we're not talking about just 144,000 Jews who follow the Lamb. There are a lot more people, beloved, that follow the Lamb. Remember we saw... That according to the sanctuary, grace is that thing that leads us step by step into the and through the sanctuary, spiritually speaking, until we come to the Ark of the Covenant, in which is the law of God or the throne of grace. These are they that follow the Lamb with a servant he goes. The Bible says these were the what? First fruits unto God. Now, this is very interesting. Listen to this. The first of the first fruits of thy land thou shalt bring into the where? House of the Lord thy God. Exodus 23, 19. When the children of Israel were commanded to uh, build their sanctuary and to do all these laws and little rituals, one of them was that when they, whenever they got their first fruits for that year, they would bring the first fruits into the house of the Lord their God. What was that symbolic of? Notice in Revelation chapter 14 again, after Revelation 14 tells us that the 144,000 are the first fruits of God, they're standing in heaven on Mount Zion, Revelation 14 goes on to tell us how they got there. And notice what it says, And I looked and behold a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud and said, thrust in thy what? Sickle and do what? Reap for the time is come for thee to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Who is the harvest of the earth? According to Revelation 14. The one hundred and 
44,000, those who are standing on Mount Zion. The Bible goes on to tell us how they got there. They got there because Christ came on a cloud, took out his symbolic symbol or symbolic sickle and did what? Reap the earth. And the first fruits are brought into the house of God. Just like it said in the type. It goes on to say here, and he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Revelation 14, 14 to 16. Listen, the reaping equals the redeeming. The reaping equals the redeeming. Notice what the Bible says, I will ransom them. This is God speaking. I will ransom them from the power of the what? Grave. I will redeem them from what? Death. Oh, death. Read this part with me. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Hosea 13, 14. Well, how do we come to that conclusion that the reaping equals the redeeming? Notice what the Bible says here. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the who? Dead in Christ shall rise First, what's happening here? Christ is coming to the earth with his what? Sickle, and he thrusts it in, and what's the first thing that happens? The dead in who? Christ rise first. So question, must the dead in Christ who rise first, who are headed to where? Mount Zion, be a part of that 144,000 that we saw in Revelation 14. Yes, they must be. Then we which are alive and remain shall be what? Caught up together with them in the, in the what? In the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. The reaping equals the redeeming. Notice what 1 Corinthians says. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15. In a moment, speaking of that same event, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last what? Trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised, how? Incorruptible, and we, the living, shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And then it says, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, read this with me, then shall be brought to pass... The saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, what? Death, where is thy sting? Oh, what? Grave, where is thy victory? 1 Corinthians 15, 52 to 55. Straight from the Old Testament. So Christ comes and he reaps. And what he reaps equals out to the 144 Thousand. You're saying, well, that doesn't, only 144,000? Hold your thought there. Notice what happens after Christ reaps. The Bible says, now another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth. For her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it where? 
into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Now, you may not understand what that means, but let me just test you here. How many of you would like to be a part of this reaping? Does that look like the part of reaping you'd like to be in? The one that is cast into the winepress of the wrath of God? Okay, very good. Very good. What, what, what part of the, which reaping do you want to be in? The first reaping. And I shouldn't say the first reaping. It's, it's not first in terms of time. It's the same event. But one group goes where? To the house of God. And the other group receives the what? Wrath of God. So what is the conclusion? Beloved, there are no second fruits. The first fruit were brought into the house of the Lord, and that which was left over was consumed, was consumed upon the earth by the people. That's in the Old Testament type. So likewise, when Jesus comes and redeems the first fruit, who are the 144,000, all who are left after that are what? Consumed upon the earth. It's only either the 144,000 or the lost, only two groups. The Bible says no guile is found in their mouths. Listen to what the Bible says. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his what? Mouth speaketh. So the Bible is simply telling us here that the 144,000 no guile is in their mouth because they have a pure what? Heart. Now, question, why do they have a pure heart? Why do they have a pure heart? For this is the what? Covenant that I will make with the house of who? Israel, after those days, say the Lord, I will put my what? Laws into their minds and write them in their Hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Hebrews 8, 8 through 10. The reason why they have a pure heart, beloved, is because they have the law of God, what? Written there, which turns out to be the law of self-sacrificing love. Now, who is the house of Israel? Because the Bible tells us that the new covenant is made only with who? With the house of Israel. That's what we just read. This new covenant is made with the house of Israel. Should you and I begin to weep because we are not born Israelites? Well, notice something. Speaking of the first person to become an Israelite. The Bible says here, and he said, this is Jacob. He said, let me go. Or, I'm sorry, this is the angels speaking to Jacob. They are having this wrestle. This is way back in the Old Testament. Jacob is a man who is trying to wrestle with God for a blessing. The Bible says, and he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. This is, this is Jacob speaking to the angel. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but what? Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. Genesis 32, 26 through 28. Question, was the first Israelite born an Israelite? How did he become an Israelite? He wrestled with God and was what? Victorious. His name was changed. What does this let us know, beloved? Look at something John the Baptist says here. 
The Pharisees are coming to him to be baptized, and they're thinking, you know what, we're Abraham's children, we've got it all settled, you know, we're, we're saved. We've got a free pass into heaven because we are Jewish. And notice what John the Baptist says to them. Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto who? Abraham. Who do those stones represent? They represented Gentiles, anybody who was not born a Jew. In other words, the Bible tells us that God is able to make anybody he so chooses a what? A Jew, a son of Abraham. Listen to these powerful verses, beloved. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is that outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one what? Inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Romans 2, 28 and 29. So let me ask you a question. If you are circumcised in the heart, and you believe in Jesus Christ, biblically speaking, what are you? Wow. You are a seed of Abraham. You become a Jew. A believer in Jesus Christ. Notice what it says again. It says, For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is, read this with me, no what? Difference between the who? Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord is over, or the same Lord over all is rich unto all that do what? Call upon him, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 11 and 13. Do you realize I listen to so many talk shows and people speak about the Jews and the Gentiles and they say Jew, the Jews are God's favorite people and then the Gentiles are like his stepchildren. Do you ever, you ever get that? Kind of, well, you know, God really loves the Jews. He likes us. But he really, really loved the Jews. Brothers and sisters, you're not going to find that teaching in the Bible. You're not going to find Paul saying that. You're not going to find Peter saying that. You're going to find this unanimous statement that Jesus says, I am no respecter of persons. The Father says, I'm no respecter of persons. The only person that I accept is that person that accepts my son. So don't think that just because you were born here or there or wherever or such and such as your father that you have any special privilege. No, you must believe in who? Jesus. And that is what has power with God. Notice again, know ye therefore that they which are of what? Faith, the same are the children of who? Abraham. How many of you have faith in Jesus? Now, if somebody tells you that you're not a child of Abraham, what is that? It's a lie. Beloved, you are just as much a child of Abraham by faith as was Abraham's literal children. So the Bible tells us, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the who? Heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all Jews be blessed. Oh, I must have read that wrong. I'm sorry, you guys are laughing. In thee shall what? All what? 
nations be blessed. There is nowhere in the scripture that you're going to find that Abraham is a blessing just for the Jews. No, in thee shall all nations be blessed. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Galatians 3, 7 through 9. Beloved, this is so simple. People are saying that 144,000 Jews represent 144,000 literal Jewish males. No, it's because they don't understand the entire New Testament teaching on the, the, the wall that Jesus has broken down between Jew, between Jew and Gentile. For ye are all the what? Children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as has been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's what? Seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, how many of you are glad that you're not a stepchild? You are not God's stepchild, beloved. You are God's child by faith. And you are an heir according to the promise. Listen. There was an earthly temple and surrounded that earthly temple or connected to that earthly temple was the literal land of Israel and all the promises at first were to come through the literal who? Jews. But now since Christ has died and resurrected, there is a what? Heavenly temple, the focus is no longer on the literal land of Israel or on the literal Jew, but on a heavenly what? Jerusalem and spiritual Israel. Beloved, all these wars and people talking about, are you looking at what's going on in the land of Israel? Bible prophecy is being fulfilled. No. No. All eyes now are to to be directed on the heavenly temple, on the heavenly Jerusalem, and on spiritual Israel. Can a literal Jew be part of spiritual Israel? Yes, so this is not saying that Jews can no longer be saved. No, far from it. God simply says, you believe in my son Jesus and you'll have eternal life. It doesn't matter who you are. God is no respecter of what? Persons. Now, we're coming to a close here. We're coming back to the book of Revelation. The Bible says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. This is John speaking. And I'm going to show you a pattern here. John hears... A great voice. And then the Bible says, I what? Turn to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. John hears first. He doesn't what? Doesn't see. He hears. And then he turns to look at what he hears. And then he sees what he first heard. Now, I want you to notice that that same pattern is found in Revelation chapter 7. John says, and I what? Heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed, how many? 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Did John see the number? No, he what? He heard. And now notice what it says in verse, I believe it's 15 or 11. After this I beheld, beheld what? After Revelation 7, 4, he hears and then he goes down through all the tribes that were sealed. And then it says, after this I beheld. After he hears all this, he beholds. In other words, he turns to look at what he first heard. And notice what he sees. After this I beheld and lo, a great, what? Multitude, which no man could number of all 
nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the where? Throne. Remember where the 144,000 were standing? Where were they? Before the throne. Very good. And before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. Revelation 7.10. Beloved, the 144,000 is the very same as the great multitude. 144,000 is a symbolic number. The Bible is not saying that there's only going to be 144,000 people in heaven. Think about this. God told Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to we're going to look at this verse. Look at this verse. I'm going to hold that for a moment. Why the number 144,000? Well, probably know that 144,000 is what? 12 times 12. Now, in the Bible, again, we're talking about Bible, uh, uh, Bible symbols. And in this verse, it tells us that the number 12, the first time the number 12 is used in the Bible, it's used in connection with what? Twelve years they served. It's used in connection with service. Service. And coincidentally, that number 13 is used in connection with rebellion. How many people were at the Lord's Supper? How many? Twelve disciples and Jesus. There were 13 there. And one of them rebelled. Very good, okay? But 12 is connected with the number with, with, with the concept of service. Twelve stands for the self-sacrificing service of heaven. Now you say, well, how do you get that? Listen, twelve what? Tribes in the Old Testament. What did God call the twelve tribes to do? Serve. To serve. They were to be his servants. Twelve disciples of the what? New Testament. What did he call them to do? To serve. 12 times 12 equals what? 144,000. A combination of the saints who serve God in the Old Testament and the saints that serve God in New Testament times. Listen, and thou shalt say unto him, speaking of when God sent Moses to deliver the children of Israel, the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me unto thee, saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. He's talking about Israel. Exodus 7, 16. Again, it says, and now Israel, what does the Lord require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Deuteronomy 10, 12. He ordained 12, that is Jesus, that they should be with him, and that they might or rather that he might send them forth to preach. The twelve disciples were called to serve, according to Mark 3, verse 14. Now, this is, this is lovely, beloved, and we're, we're closing with this. We're talking about the city of God now, okay? 144,000 and the city of God. I want you to notice this. When you read about the city of God, Revelation 21, 12 says there's how many gates? Twelve gates. There are 12 angels at the gates in Revelation 21.12. There are 12 names of the 12 uh, tribes written on those gates according to 21.12. In Revelation 21.14, it says there are 12 foundations in the city. The names of the 12 apostles are written on those foundations. 
Do you see repetition of a number here? Uh, Revelation 21.16, it says the city was uh, in breadth and height 12,000 furlong by 12,000 furlong. In Revelation 21.17, it says the walls are 144,000 cubits. It's almost, beloved, as though the city of God is built on this number 12. In Revelation 22.2, there are 12 manner of fruit. In Revelation 21.19, there are 12 precious stones. Beloved, the city of New Jerusalem is the city of self sacrificing love. It is the city of service. So then, the city and all who enter are firmly united on the what? Law of self-sacrificing love. This is why the number 144,000 is used to symbolize those who stand on Mount Zion. Why? Because they have allowed the principle of what? Self-sacrificing love to be written on their hearts. That's why the Bible says of the 144,000, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Revelation 7.3. It goes on to say in that same chapter, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. Beloved, those who enter the city of God are those who have allowed the principle of self-sacrificing love or service into their hearts. Remember what Jesus said. The kings of the Gentile exercise lordship over them and they exercise authority upon them that are called benefactors. But you shall not be so. He that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger and he that is chief as he that does serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that what? Serves. Is not he that sitteth at meat but I am among you as he that serves. The 144,000 is a symbolic name and number from Mount Zion. The total number of people who will repopulate heaven and who have the law of self-sacrificing love written in their hearts. Who will fill the very place which Lucifer and the fallen angels once occupied. Do you remember where we read that Lucifer was among, walked up and down among the stones of fire. Do you remember that verse? Do you realize that in the book of Revelation, I think I've got it up here. Here it is. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with what? Fire. And then that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. Satan walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. He was cast out of heaven. Those who get the victory over the beast, those who have the law of self-sacrificing love in their hearts, stand upon the sea of glass mingled with what, everyone? Fire. Make sure that you're here for that message, the city of fire on Saturday night, because we're going to talk about how these people can stand on fire and not be burned. But beloved, we close with this principle with this thought those who are redeemed in heaven are those who have the principle 
a self-sacrificing love in their heart. The war in these last days is between two principles. The principle of self-sacrificing love versus the principle of self-centeredness. You know what? It's too much for me to sacrifice to follow Jesus right now. It's too much for me to sacrifice to study my Bible. It's too much for me to sacrifice to do this for the Lord or to that to do that for the Lord. And thousands and millions of people are revealing the principle of rebellion in their hearts, even among Christians. My appeal to you tonight, beloved, is to strive to be among the 144,000 who have the Father's name written in their hearts, in their minds. How many of you would like to be a part of that number? Amen. God promised Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And beloved, when, when Abraham rises on that resurrection morning and we all get to heaven, God's going to show Abraham a number. And it will not be 144,000. Abraham will go, God, where's the great multitude that you <laughs> promised me? What Abraham is going to see is a great multitude that no man could number of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. How many of you would like to be a part of that promised blessing?